Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we are joined by Michael, our resident Ephesiologist, and I'm Andrew, uh, Andrew Johnson. I am an associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and we have a treat for our listeners, and that's an interview uh, that you did with Door International. Can you can you tell us just a smidge about what that interview was and what they're about to hear? Yeah, you know, the Door International is um, probably one of the more unique mission organizations in the world, as they specifically reach out to the deaf uh, populations uh, all around the world. And I was excited to have uh, Rob Meyer, who's the president of Door International, and David Pope, who's the chairman of the board of uh, the organization, on to interview and talk about the challenges that they're facing in deaf ministry and uh, the opportunities that are there as well. And, and uh, really, my objective was to help raise awareness of the need to reach out to the deaf community and uh, to highlight an organization that I'm excited about. I'm, I'm just recently came on the board of Door International and I'm uh, excited about how uh, I might be able to contribute, especially in the area of theological education. And one of the things that you'll hear in this interview is that there's nothing uh, that for deaf in in regards to theological education, and uh, and so I'm excited to be able to walk alongside of them as we think about the most effective ways that we can bring theological education to church leaders in the deaf community uh, communities around the world. So yeah, this is an exciting interview. I think uh, it, from a missiological perspective, uh, it presents some uh, unique opportunities to think missionally about how we go about uh, engaging in the, the deaf uh, world. And, uh, and then you're, you're going to hear some of the challenges that even the deaf face. And so I, I hope you'll uh, enjoy this, this interview. That's fantastic. Well, uh, without further ado, uh, here is Michael and our guests from Door International. Well, I am joined today by two good friends that uh, I've gotten to know one over the past couple years, um, probably three or four or maybe five years. Gosh, David, I, don't, I can't remember when we met. I, I remember where it was. And then another that I've been getting to know over the past year and a half or so. I'm joined by David Pope and Rob Meyer. And both of these gentlemen serve with an organization uh, called Door International. And uh, I'm happy to have them on the podcast today. Guys, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Well, this is such a, uh, an interesting subject, uh, I think, that we're going to get in today, into today because it's something that we don't hear much about. And, uh, but it's so important for us to really begin to think about some of these issues you all are going to, to uh, address. But before we get there, uh, David... Take a couple minutes. Tell us about you. Who who is David Pope? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure thing, Michael. My name is David Pope, and obviously, and I'm the uh, the chairman of the board of directors for Door International. I also lead uh, a ministry uh, called Pope Initiatives. I'm the managing partner and founder of that ministry, focused on reaching the world one church, one disciple at a time. I've served in the pastorate for a couple of decades. I've been in leading mission organizations for over a decade, uh, served overseas in West Africa, have a background in business, and I'm currently married to my wife of 44 years and living wow. in Central Pennsylvania. Wow. Well, wow, boy, you have quite the uh, background. And that's one of the things that I've appreciated so much about you. And I think that's why we've connected so much is that we're both missiologists. We Absolutely. love to think about these things. So thanks for being with us, David. Rob, take a couple minutes, introduce yourself. Sure, happy to do so. I'm Rob Myers. Um, I have served with Door International as its CEO and president for about eight years now, uh, joining in 2014. Prior to that, 
Um, I uh, actually earned my PhD in mathematics from the University of California, Berkeley, and served as a mathematics professor and uh, dean of the science division at Bethel University in Northern Indiana. And so the, uh, the, the trail between those two dots uh, may be worth us uh, exploring a little bit more later, but um, yeah. Uh, I, um, I'm also married and, um, I've been married to my wife, Michelle for, uh, 21 years and, uh, we have four children and live currently in the Orlando, Florida area. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That is something that I think we should explore. So how does a mathematician get from doing math, studying math at Berkeley, teaching it at Bethany, and then, uh, uh, becoming the president of door international. But before we get there, Take a couple minutes, guys. What is Door International? I'm gonna let Rob answer that one. Yeah. So um, Door International is a is a ministry for the deaf, um, by the deaf, that's been around for uh, almost 40 years now, and um, really focused on two main things. We have uh, we we in in essence have an end to end strategy on how to reach uh, deaf communities from a community having almost no believers to having thriving churches and having access to scripture. And the two main focuses that we have to achieve that are to support the, uh, the local community in doing sign language Bible translation. So this is translation of scripture into sign language on video, but that's a tool to do one of the primary things that we do, which is um, train local indigenous deaf leaders in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And um, those two key components come together to really uh, raise up a um, generation. And our, our vision is to see um, within the next few years, 50% of the deaf community having access to some sort of scripture and in their heart language, in the sign language, and um, um, having uh, deaf leaders trained within their deaf community so that they'll have access to the gospel. Wonderful. And how many countries are you working in currently? We're working in about 25 countries uh, globally right now, which represents about 27 or 28 different sign languages. Wow. And David, tell us what attracted you to DOOR? Because this wasn't your background, was it? You were the missiologist working in West Africa. Prior to that, you said you were pastoring. How did how did you come across Door, and what attracted you to this organization and ministry? Yeah, I think the bigger question is what drew me to deaf work and the mm. needs of deaf people. Rob didn't mention this. About one percent of the global population is deaf, probably. Right, Rob, and about so. I, so if you do the math, what now? Seventy-eight million approaching eighty million uh, people in the world. Some have considered it the largest unreached people group in the world if you combine them together. But I was a pastor in Rome, New York, in uh, the early nineties, and encountered a deaf school, and thought to myself then, and that was my first encounter. How do you reach deaf people? I, mean, I wonder how that happens. Didn't have a clue. Uh, and like a lot of ministries, just kind of pushed it to the side and said, well, maybe someone will do it. A few years later, I ended up in West Africa and was part of a team called the Engagement Team, working with the International Mission Board. We had a responsibility of trying to reach 156 people groups under 100,000 in population that covered nine countries. And we had to figure out a way to get the gospel to them. The interesting thing was of those nine countries, uh, there were nine deaf groups, which were the, all the deaf of those countries. So that was the deaf of nine countries on my list. Hmm. Did I, again, had no idea the International Mission Board had just begun what they called their deaf affinity group. So they were beginning to unpack, but they were very, uh, I would say, defined in where they were working. And it was largely two areas of the world with high population centers. And that's where they were working. So West Africa was way down on their ability to, to reach. Uh, very frustrated by that. Came home, uh, began to work in around 2015, began to work with the Issachar Initiative and finishing the task and began to look at the people group list around the world, did my own math and realized that a significant portion of the people groups in the world that had no one working with them were the deaf of entire countries. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and realized that that was the next frontier. This was the frontier that we were going to get to. As the list began to come down, as more people sent, the death got kept getting rising in importance on that list. Mm-hmm. And so in 2015, um, I was sitting in California with Paul Eshman and Rob Myers came in and stood at a whiteboard and explained what Dor did. And from that moment, I was I was caught. <laughs> I said, wow. I have to be a part of this in some way, form or fashion, uh, help me out. And, and so that's how I got to, to be involved with Door. is I saw a ministry that was effective, had a great missiological strategy, and I became a very strong uh, proponent and advocate for what they were doing. Mm, yeah, that's so cool. Now, someone listening might think, well, gosh, this can't be that difficult, right? I mean, after all, we have closed captioning on our televisions. You just click a button and the words will come up. And why can't people just read uh, the, the gospel or, or, you know, read theology or whatever? But the reality is, Rob, it's far more complex than that, isn't it? It is. So um, one of the best explanations that we give to help people understand why we do what we do is to imagine that you had two children born. Let's say you had twins born and one of them was blind and one of them was deaf. And now imagine them growing up and the type of language that they have access to. A blind child, even though they can't see, have full access to all of the language that's happening around them. And through that language, so they're hearing they're copying, they're getting feedback. And then through that language, they're getting access to information. Um, They're learning problem solving from their parents. They're learning all of these things through all of that language that they're exposed to. They may not see anything, but they have full exposure to language. If you imagine that deaf child growing up, they can't hear any of the language that's happening around them. And so then they can't copy it. And so then when they go, when they're actually brought into a school setting, typically what parents do, they, most parents don't learn sign language. So even here in the United States, about 80 to 85% of parents of deaf kids never learn to communicate with their kid, which may be a shocking statistic for some people. And we, we might imagine if I have a child, I'm going to do anything that I can to try to communicate with them. But many times Um, These parents are actually dissuaded from learning, uh, teaching sign language to their kids by audiologists and others who mistakenly think that if they learn sign, if the kids learn sign language first, then they're going to be delayed in English. And it's actually the other way around. We, We have all these programs as hearing parents where we teach our kids baby sign because your gross motor skills develop faster than your fine motor skills. And so, um, if these kids, what, what usually happens in these homes is they'll develop 50 to 100 made up signs that don't actually have meaning, meaning in the broader community. They just mean something at home. And so imagine your blind child going into a school with a vocabulary of 5,000 to 10,000 words, your deaf child going into a school with maybe 50 to 100 made up things. Mm-hmm. That nobody else knows. Right. And now when we think about the, the, the situation of reading, when we learn to read, we actually learn to read by sounding out letters and those combinations connected to a language that we already knew. But for deaf people, they never have been exposed to any of those sounds. And so it's a lot like if you were to try to read, to learn to read Mandarin without Mandarin Chinese, without having any exposure to language prior to that. It's a lot of pattern recognition and, and just trying to figure out that these the DOG that I'm reading, it stands for that thing that's running around over there. And G-O-D is this completely different concept. And I'm all I'm learning is those patterns. Now, if, if deaf people have some hearing, they may have some exposure to language. And so you get you get a variety in the deaf community where some deaf people do have access to written language and then therefore things like captions are really going to help them. But a vast majority of people in the deaf community who are what we would call profoundly deaf, um, English or whatever their written language is that's around them is very, very much a second language to them. And so what we tell people is, yes, deafness is a disability. And when we say we're in a deaf ministry, many times the, the lenses or the, the hat that people put on is they think, oh, special needs. But 
Deafness is a disability, but it's the only disability that cuts that child off from the language and information and culture of their family. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very unique situation. And that's why we classify deaf people in their own minority language group, because they're really cut off from the language, the, the language group that's around them. Mm. Yeah, Michael, so just, is, uh, just to add one yeah. comment, what Rob has said. And so you consider that in a developed nation, uh, the most developed nation in many cases, the United States of America, what the need might be, but then take that into a third world undeveloped nation. And you realize where education is even uh, limited for many young children in some of those countries, think how much worse it would be for a deaf child in those countries. Right. And, and one thing that, that contributes further to this is the stigmas that exist around deafness, the misunderstandings that happen. And they, these can be sociological misunderstandings. Um, they can be religious misunderstandings related to deafness. So for instance, in strong Muslim um, uh, cultures, you'll get, uh, the parents will be told that God's cursing them uh, by giving them mm -hmm. a deaf child. And so many times those deaf children end up getting hidden in the home and they almost never actually leave the home. So mm -hmm. that 50 to 100 made up signs in the home is gonna be the extent of their entire vocabulary for their entire life. And the idea of having no language at all, not, not a literacy issue in terms of reading and writing, but no language at all, is a situation, is one of the many unique situations that happen in, in deaf ministry contexts that don't happen anywhere else. From what we're aware of, uh, just as an example, the country of Bangladesh has somewhere between three and five million deaf people, and they have a total of three deaf schools to try to service all three to five million of those. And part of the reason for so few um, uh, deaf schools is because deafness is considered a curse in, in, in many uh, contexts in that country. So the estimates are that 97% of those deaf people in that country have no language. They mm -hmm. just have no, no exposure to language at all. So imagine trying to share the gospel and raise up mature leaders in, in an environment like that. It creates, it creates a whole new set of uh, significant barriers. Rob yeah. has a great story uh, that illustrates, even from the church perspective, how uh, it's, it's hindered their ability in many undeveloped countries to reach deaf. And to, uh, Rob, I'm thinking of the Kenyan pastor. Or, or that. Yeah. So um, one, of our, uh, one of our staff was invited at one point to go to a hearing church to present a sign song. And this is, this is um, not untypical for hearing churches to know that deaf people can sign with a song and so they think it's beautiful so sure we'll invite a deaf person to come do that and so they brought a, a, a an interpreter so that the hearing people could understand what the person was signing so he during this during the church service he was invited on stage he gave a song and then um, once the song was finished, he, he turned to the pastor and he asked through the interpreter as he was signing, he said, can I pray for all of us? And the pastor was caught off guard. He wasn't expecting that. And he said, well, sure. And so this staff member just launched into this beautiful prayer about um, thank you, God, for how you've created the full body of Christ. You've created deaf and hearing people and all of us, you've given various gifts um, to be able to fulfill your great commission. And so he went on for several minutes and when he said amen, and then he looked at the, at the crowd, he noticed that many of the people in the crowd were weeping. Oh, wow. He didn't understand why. And he didn't ask at the time. He just went and sat down. But after the service, he went up to the pastor and he, through the interpreter, he said, I, I'm just curious. I, I saw the reaction of the people in the church. What, what, why were they reacting that way? And the, the, the pastor kind of hung his head. And he said, I, I hate to admit this, but our concept of deaf people has radically changed just because you've been here. And the way that we thought of deaf people before you came is we thought of them as goats. Um, goats are things that God's given to us to take care of, but they don't really have souls. We just mm -hmm. we're here to take care of. And all of our interactions with deaf people before, we, we didn't think deaf people could be saved. You know, uh -huh. the 
the the scripture that said from Romans 10 that said, how can they believe if they can't hear? We always thought that meant that deaf people can't be saved because they can't hear. Uh -huh. You're you're a believer, you have a soul. That that is a, a, a radical concept for us. And this deaf person was just totally taken aback because they had no idea that some hearing community, some people in the church have that concept. And even just those types of theological misunderstandings are significant barriers to people, to deaf people being able to come to Christ. Wow. Wow. What a, what an incredible story. Tell, tell us, Rob, Dave, chime in as well. What are some of the unique characteristics of deaf culture? Mm. Uh, that's a, that's a, a great, great question. <laughs> Um, so obviously, when um, when you lose one sense, um, other senses tend to be heightened. And so for deaf people, um, deaf culture tends to be very, very focused on visual aspects. So um, uh, the the visual nature of anything. And so, for instance, um, if you're trying to get a deaf person's attention, the way you would do it in a um, in a hearing context is you would just shout. But for a deaf person, it's completely different if they're turned around and not looking at you, you might, for example, one of the, one of the ways that our translation team in, uh, in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area tries to get each other's attention is they have Nerf guns on hand and they'll, uh, they'll fire a dart. If they're, if they're upset with the person, they'll fire the dart at their head, but if otherwise they'll fire it past their head so they can see something, oh, that's a visual cue. Somebody's trying to get my attention and they'll, or flipping the lights on and off. So Typical things that we're used to doing in one way, deaf people do in a completely different way. But I think the, the biggest aspect of deaf culture is the value that they place on information. Mm -hmm. um, we think of, uh, we, if you think of what are your priorities in life, um, many times people will think, you know, from a secular standpoint, people might think uh, making money or having uh, status or other things like that. But for deaf people, if you imagine the situation they grew up in, sitting around the dinner table, let's say at age seven or eight, parents and other brothers and sisters laughing and talking and exchanging all this information that they have no access to, suddenly you, become, you realize that when they begin to get access to information, it's almost like gold. It's something that they've never had before, and it's so critical, and they, they, they desire it a lot. So... Um, that information becomes a, a really, really high value in the deaf community. And so the idea of sharing information together, shared information is very critical, making decisions together, group processing, because I may have some information, but I'm likely not to have all of the information because I probably miss some of it. So mm -hmm. making a decision together with a group of people, I'm going to have much more confidence in that decision than trying to make that decision on my own. So we find that that value just alone, the idea of information access is a critical piece to approaching raising up deaf leaders because a lot of our work is exposing them to very important information that they need in order to make good decisions. I just wanted to piggyback one comment. So think about this, Door International is, is, does sign language translation. So Michael, just think about if when information in the deaf culture is valued so highly and they crave information, you better be sure that the information you give them is accurate. Wow. Because if it's inaccurate, then that can it can spread quickly among the deaf community and it could also with it spread error. So you're again from a theological perspective, you need to give good, strong, solid theological information. Yeah, wow, that's that's so important. Things that we just don't think about, right? Uh, in our hearing culture, um, what? Uh, yeah, one go other ahead, thing, Dan. I would just want to say this, and you know, talking about deaf culture, deaf culture for for again for your listeners would understand the principle of orality and how the oral mind works differently. It may seem a little odd to think of deaf culture as being an oral culture, but mentally and the way they process information would be very similar. They just have a visual language, but the way they process information and a lot of the approaches, in fact, it informed very early on Doors' approach to what they do with translations is, is an oral approach, interestingly enough. 
Yeah, wow. And I want to get to that subject of translation, but before we do, what have you learned from the deaf? Mm. Um, I think I would say that the deaf, uh, deaf leaders have uh, transformed my understanding of um, gospel service and gospel access and serving within communities. I think probably the biggest thing that I've learned from deaf leaders is the value that every person has within the kingdom mm -hmm. and how, um, how God has gifted each person and he desires to see those gifts unlocked and used within the kingdom. And I think as part of that, um, it, I've had to adjust a lot my own attitude and my own approach in terms of I'm not here to serve I'm not here to do things for a community as a hearing person. So I, I hold a very strange position as the hearing leader of a deaf organization. That's a very, um, I have to be very careful with, um, with the authority that's been trusted to me as a hearing person within the deaf community because deaf, deaf people have experienced a lot of oppression um, intended and unintended uh, from hearing leaders. And so, Really, my job is to empower and inform and provide as much information and raise up as many deaf leaders as possible so that a, ground, a groundswell movement um, with, within the deaf community can really begin to, uh, begin to advance, advance, advance the gospel. Um, I, I, I recently had a meeting with another organization called Unfolding Word, and um, they uh, I think they really put great articulation to this. They, they said um, the church has moved over the years from the idea of doing something for a community to doing something with a community to doing something to equip the community. But really where we see exponential growth and, and, and really growth within the kingdom is equipping communities to equip other communities. And so that really is the heart of our, um, of our ministry is to equip deaf leaders and equip communities, not just so that the gospel can grow within their own communities, but can spread far beyond that. And, and a statistic to bear that up, Rob, you might share how many deaf leaders has DOOR equipped? Yeah, so we have um, right now, just as a, as a current, um, as an organization, we have about 230 staff um, which include uh, various staff across different countries that are that are connected to our ministry. About how many, those are deaf? How many of those? About eighty-five percent of those staff are deaf, and over ninety percent of them are non-U.S. folks. So our our focus is really Indigenous deaf leaders. But if you look at the history since 1983, when when the the seeds of our organization began, we've trained over a thousand deaf leaders in various contexts, from training them to be evangelists teachers, uh, leaders within their community. So, um, and we see the, the fruit of that training bearing out as we see many of those deaf leaders now leading other deaf ministries in many other contexts. And we just praise God for that because um, that is really his work. It's his work within our ministry and it's his work using these leaders to, um, to grow and prosper other, other deaf ministries that are happening currently. Yeah, that's neat. What, tell us a little bit about the, the state of Bible translation for the deaf. Yeah, so there's what, one thing that uh, there are many assumptions that hearing people have that I had, even walking into this, um, that turn out not to be true. And one of them, which is a very common one, is that people assume there's only one sign language around the world or there's sort of a universal sign language. Um, that turns out not to be the case. There's about uh, somewhere between 350 and 400 sign languages globally. Um, they're not directly tied to the written language uh, that's within the country. It's a very, very different language. It's not just a sign version of a written language. Um, and that's another reason why it's very difficult sometimes for deaf people to shift from, the, from sign language to a, a, a written language format. So of those, let's say 375 uh, language sign languages that are out there, less than 10% have published scripture right now, um, mm -hmm. anything. So we're talking about one verse, 
less than 10% of them have, have at least one verse. If you look um, at uh, portions of scripture, um, the, there's one sign language that has the full Bible, that's American Sign Language, which um, was a 40-year project that was completed by a partner organization of ours, Deaf Missions. And that was just recently too, wasn't it? That was in the year 2020, so it really was recently. Wow. Um, there's another sign language that's getting very close to completing the New Testament. And then we have about uh, 30 or so that have some portions, and then another 30 or so that are in process beginning to translate and starting to publish. And then it trails off from there and there. Um, so in many, many countries, this may be hard for people to believe, but in many countries, um, even countries that we would typically look at as developed countries where the gospel should be totally prevalent, um, uh, there are, there is no uh, sign language Bible translation. Deaf people in those communities have zero scripture access mm -hmm. right now, even wow. when everybody else in their home has full scripture access. Wow. So it's just not that they are unreached, but in, in a very real sense, they're unengaged in many parts. Right. And yeah. yeah, most, and that was what drew me to the, to the whole need in the first place. Uh, I remember someone said it was a, it was a leader of a deaf organization said, uh, it's been a few years ago that probably the last language to be translated into scripture and the last person to hear the gospel will be a, a sign language and will be a deaf person. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Because they're just so far out there. And again, I, I think of, you know, you and I, and, and again, many of your listeners know of some extreme groups that are in some extreme areas that are really difficult to get to. And you imagine that, and then you think, I mean, think of, again, closed access countries that we're aware of. What if you're deaf within that country? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rob, Robin and I have been pushing to get um, just survey work into a, a, a country that has one of the larger uh, deaf populations, but it's just been so difficult, you know, and COVID's added to that difficulty uh, to go in because of the way that process works. But there have been some success stories, and and I don't know if if, if, my, if it's a good time to do it. But I think absolutely I can get Rob to share. I can share a little bit of my part of it. But in May of 2017, we um, we I was working with the Issacar Initiative, and we did summits, and we went to Lexington, Kentucky, and did a summit. And before we did that, we had determined that we really wanted to put before the participants, the people that would be attending, uh, the need to reach every unengaged, which would be no one working with them, people group in the country of Nepal. Uh, as we looked at that, obviously on that list were the deaf of Nepal, which I think mm -hmm. we estimated about 250,000, Rob, something like that at the time. And I knew of Doors' work, and I said, I think we should include the deaf and invite Door to be a part of this. And so we went to, to Lexington, put it before the people there, uh, generous givers, primarily from Lexington, Kentucky, from Kentucky, and but others agreed to fund the, the sending of workers to those, those people groups and sending of workers to the deaf. And so I'll let Rob pick up the story and let this, because the funding came in and, and we had the funding for the first year by the fall of 2017. And then uh, Rob can tell you about how what happened from there. But I think it speaks to uh, Doors process, which really enamored me to them, which was how do you enter into a community with no belief mm -hmm. and then develop and see churches form that are biblically healthy? How do you see that happen? And, and in this, really, the past three to four years, we've seen that happen in Nepal. So, Rob? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as, as it happens, um, the Lord was bringing several strings together in, um, in this work, because while the Issachar Initiative was talking about that country in particular, we had identified it as a potential next uh, country that we were aware that there was likely very few believers in the country. And so we, um, we sent in uh, a language survey team to really assess what was happening in the country. And that's typically our first step in a, in a process like this is to really figure out where are deaf people, um, are there deaf Christians, are there deaf churches, um, are there other things that are happening in the country. And one of the things that we found was that there were about 20 or fewer deaf believers out of 300,000 deaf people in Nepal. And the 
the really the only other religious um, instruction that they were getting in sign language was by Jehovah's Witnesses. And that's a very, very common, um, one of the biggest ministries, religious ministries, non-Christian religious ministries to deaf people worldwide is Jehovah's Witnesses. And yeah. so wow. um, we uh, then recruited two deaf leaders from another country in South Asia and uh, sent them into the country to begin to learn Nepali sign language. So, um, uh, and they learned it in about one month. So one of the things that, that, uh, that you'll see in, our, in, in the strategy that we take is it's very important to send deaf leaders. Um, the re part of the reason is that um, if I'm a deaf person who's grown up around a dinner table, constantly missing information, dealing with all of the, constantly living cross-culturally with people who are, are hearing who don't understand my language, that person's an excellent cross-cultural communicator. They learn how to, how to get along in, in this other culture that they're constantly living in. Now imagine training that person as a missionary and planting them in another culture. They're gonna be a great cross-cultural missionary, but once another deaf person finds out that they're deaf, there's an immediate experience connection there where they say, you know exactly what I've grown up with for the last 20, 25, 30, 40 years. I can trust you, and there's a, there's an immediate connection that happens there. But they also are very very good at learning other um, other countries sign languages, and that has to do with the nature of of some of the similarities between sign languages aren't all the same, but they have similar grammatical aspects that allow once you know one sign language to learn another sign language much faster. So whereas a missionary planted in another country from a totally different language group might take two to three years to become fluent in that uh, local language. Deaf people can become fluent in two months. Wow. And uh, wow. so once they are there in, once they were there in Nepal, um, they began to just as, and as they were learning Nepali sign language, they began to share the gospel. So they began specific evangelism and discipleship work on ground and began to raise up Nepali, um, Nepali leaders. And over the course of about a year or two, um, they planted believers fellowships like house churches, um, uh, deaf churches that, uh, that were meeting in homes, meeting in, in, in other places. And as leaders began to grow and mature um, through this discipleship process and the, the, um, one of the, the immediate barriers that then comes is they don't have access to scripture. So people can only feed themselves and really engage in a relationship with God on their own if they have access to God's word. So they would be exposed to stories in their own sign language and they would remember those stories and try to use those uh, for spiritual nourishment, but they really needed God's word. So um, after a few years from um, 2017 to about 2019, uh, we began to see that there were enough um, leaders within the community that they were ready to begin to do translation work. So a translation team, a deaf team, was recruited and began to be trained in order to um, begin to translate. And but they what what they translated was also key because um, whereas a typical translation, traditionally translation projects begin with like the Book of Mark or the Book of Jonah because those are easier books to translate. Um, but from a, from a missiological standpoint, if I translate the book of Jonah and give it into the community, the community, particularly a deaf community, has no context for mm. who, who Israel is, who these prophets are, who is this God. There's, there's no information that's underlying that you can start to draw from. So you really have to take what, what is a classical oral um, approach by beginning at the beginning and giving them the context for Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, the creation, creation of man and woman, the fall, and then how God be, has begun to work through, um, through the nation of Israel to provide his law and to, to help people understand the rebellion that they're into him so that they can understand uh, the need for a savior. And so what we do in the translation process is we actually take those key passages, full chapters of scripture, but selected chapters of scripture and actually translate those to provide sort of a foundational mini Bible. Um, and that, that mini Bible would then be able to give key passages to be able to share the gospel 
So for evangelism, to be able to disciple other leaders and to be able to plant churches and begin to, to develop leaders within the community. And that's not the be all end all, that's not the ending point, but that's, that's a critical starting piece for these communities. So they have scripture they can trust that they can then use within, um, within their communities. And Nepal is, is at that place now where they're getting that first package of um, scripture that's going to, there's a celebration that's gonna be happening even within the next couple of months um, Nepal's also reached a, uh, another goalpost, which we're excited to celebrate that those deaf missionaries from another country in South Asia are now ready to leave. Mm. But ultimately, the goal is for the community to be able to sustain itself. And so those missionaries are going to be available to, um, uh, when issues come up and other things, but they've been feeding into these leaders for a number of years now. And so they're excited to see, um, all of the local leaders take over and uh, continue the ministry work. Wow. Wow. What a great story. David, um, when I'm listening to Rob, I hear a number of missiological principles that yeah. we so often forget in our contemporary missions. Talk about that for a moment. Well, uh, yeah, I'm not sure which ones you're, which ones you're referring to. Um, but Certainly, I think cons considering the culture that you're entering into uh, is very important. I think es establishing the foundation with a, a, a people group. And again, their doors approach to translation. As he said, you have to establish, first of all, who is God? Uh, who is what is man? You know, what what is the problem that has occurred? We miss that a lot. I think we miss it a lot in this culture, in Western cultures. We don't, we assume way too much with people when we share the gospel, that there's so much there. And so they could go in and share these things, but they would really, you know, not, not go anywhere. So I think establishing those, those kind of principles are very important. The church formation principle, uh, Jesus will build his church. So they don't have a necessarily a church planting principle as much as a church formation principle is let's make disciples and out of disciples churches will form. Mm -hmm. So the focus is on the disciple. Let's create followers, gather the followers, let's teach them how to gather, teach them how to do church and uh, but not a western model, let them develop their own model of having to that. Again, those are all missiological principles, but yeah. that's, again, this would enamored me from the very beginning and why I think it's so instructional for the broader missing community is how you reach deaf. Uh, again, one of the most unengaged, unreached cultures in the world, if you can figure it out, if, and that was my premise coming in, if we could figure that out, it would probably inform everyone. I even said, if you deaf are the uttermost. And so if you're going to, if you're faithful to the uttermost, God might even give us some more information based on that faithfulness. He might reveal to us, here's, here's what's been missing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happens. And that is, so if you can start, if you know how to do that, you begin with making disciples, but then you involve them as early as possible, as Rob's indicated in the process of translation, encountering the theological concepts early on. And as I said, you know, who is God? What is sin? What is man? Um, all of those principles and ologies that we're, we're familiar with in systematic theology, but doing it in the context of a biblical theology, then uh, you're giving them the tools to sustain themselves theologically long-term. Mm -hmm. um, because, and, and let me just say this about scripture translation as well. One of the big issues is, and has been historically is receptivity. And is it, is it received? In other words, we could do the translation and give it to them, but will they receive it and use it or they will see it as some foreign object? Involving yeah. the deaf in the process uh, has means that the receptivity is high in that process. But again, back to my point, you have to train them really well to know how to do it like we would anyone. It's not because yeah. they're deaf, it's because they just don't have access you have to train them well so that they're multiplying good principles, multiplying good, uh, uh, good theology as well. Yeah, I love that, David. Thanks for sharing it. You know, it, it makes me uh, recall, and you, you've had these experiences as well, where Bible translation has occurred in a culture that's an oral culture, 
and it's been rejected because they look at reading as something that's not a part of who they are. And so they, they don't want to read. They don't want to learn the alphabet. They don't want to learn the words. They don't want to learn how to read. Uh, and yet we spend so much energy sometimes in cultures um, to get the Bible translated verbally in written form without really starting with the question, what's the need? What, what, how will they receive this? And so I love that story about the receptivity. Yeah, one of the, I mean, I've been advocating for this for, for a, a little while now, for some time, and that is that I believe if you, if you give people the word of God in their preferred language, mm, which could be and oral pref- and preferred medium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you give it at that and that's not enough and teach them how to handle it properly, mm. that Jesus will build his church because the truth will, you know, solidify, but you have to teach them how to handle it properly, which means you have to raise up leaders. That's a core missiological task, as you know, of evangelism, discipleship, leadership development and church formation and they're all kind of like this it's not like you do one then do the other but that missiological task has to be supported by other concerns which scripture translation and distribution are there any media that's needed all of those kinds of things um, need to work in support prayer you know part of that as well and uh, once you get all the pieces together and again door has looked at it that way they really didn't have a choice, did they, Rob? Uh, you really didn't have a choice because there was no way you could go, nowhere you could go. It wasn't like you'd go pick up a book and say, let's just use this. They had to develop it. And I think because they did, um, I think almost every missions organization working in literate context should look at that process and say, how, do what, how does what we do match up with that approach? I mean, obviously, it's going to look different, a little bit differently, but I think that approach would be very beneficial. And I would say this, I think we ought to do Bible translation that way. We ought to begin with the bigger picture mm-hmm. and what we do and say, look, here's the, here's the, a condensed, very biblical literate, you know, in other words, it matches with, with good Hebrew and Greek uh, translation of work. Let's give you this. Now let's begin to expand off of that. Um, but you, but again, also guided by the culture. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's another missiological uh, uh, tenant here that I just want to point out. Um, and it, it's connected in some sense to Doors tagline, death reaching death for Christ. Um, there's been a movement I know uh, moving away from West to the rest, to everywhere, to everywhere. And one of the things that's happened in the course of that shift is that people have often been asking, what is the closest expression of the church that can reach an unreached people group? So if we're looking at um, a particular unreached people group, let's say in Papua New Guinea, who is the expression of the church that's most prepared and closest culturally to be able to reach that community. And one of the things that I think is really becoming more prominent recently is that that closeness is not always geographical closeness. Um, And in deaf communities, this is very strongly highlighted because you have deaf people who've been living around the church and even within the church, even they live in Christian families. So we have a, um, our vice president of ministry Um, is a a hearing man who grew up with a deaf brother, and they both had a father who was a pastor Mm -hmm. um, living in a country in South Asia where there aren't a lot of pastors. And that deaf brother grew up in the church, going to church for 25 years, but had zero access to the gospel because the family did not know sign language and they didn't know how to communicate with that brother. And so we think of hearing, there are all these um, hearing church communities that are close to deaf people. Let's get them to reach deaf leaders. But again, if you take a deaf missionary and plant them into another community, you get that immediate connection because of shared culture and shared experience that goes way beyond Mm -hmm. um, national borders. And so one of the things for us that's a very, very critical um, choice that we make when we do ministry work is that we raise up deaf leaders to go in and reach other deaf leaders with the gospel. 
Yeah, I love that. Great, great missiological principle. All right, final question. I hope this one's not a hard one, but I, th- I, I love asking this question because so often us coming from the West think that we have something to offer to others. And rarely, it seems that we go into a culture uh, as learners. And so if I were to go into a deaf church somewhere in Nepal or somewhere in South Asia, what would I learn from my Christian brothers and sisters about God, about Christian spirituality, about character? I want to, I'm going to say this because I went into a, a house church in uh, South Asia um, as a hearing person, you know, and, and experienced their house church. Uh, I think one thing you get is that the, <laughs> the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. It's an, it's a beautiful thing and it's empowered by grace and the indwelling Holy Spirit. You just, you walk in and say, these are brothers and sisters in Christ, equal brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing is you really uh, are impressed by the importance of indigeneity and uh, language. And as you watch them, you know, their language, worship, vibrant worship. And and let me just say this too, uh, Mm -hmm. deaf worship often is not quiet. Is it Rob? (laughs) It's very loud. And uh, oftentimes because uh, they love to feel the bass. And so they'll turn up the bass. Now, in this case, it was something different, but obviously because it was in a, in a a little bit more close culture, but it was just all of those things, I think, are things you would get from working cross-culturally anywhere, but they seem to be highlighted because of, I would say, the, the pardon this expression, the alien nature of it. It just seems so alien and so other, but you think, but God is still here. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I would, I, I would totally agree with that. I think, I think you learn, you begin to learn what's biblical and what's cultural mm. in in a church setting and culture think something being cultural in a church setting doesn't mean it's bad. We have to engage in the culture that, that, that we're involved in, but where we, where we run into danger is taking a carbon copy of what the church looks like in one context and setting it in a totally different context and not expecting there to be some, some challenges there. So mm-hmm. um, you find these, like David was describing these beautiful expressions of worship of prayer, um, of uh, sharing the word and learning together, but they're not in a written or even a spoken language. So you've you've transcended even the 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 um, the written or spoken language that's that's around you. So you sit in a room as a hearing person. You sit in a room where there's almost no noise except when the when the worship's going on. When it's so loud that you almost may become deaf yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet God's spirit is ministering and his people are using the, the gifts that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 um, to minister and to grow the body. And you see how, I, I, I would say you get a much larger vision for who God is mm-hmm. than, than anything that, that, that you would have um, conceived of before. Wow. If, if this might take a minute, to do, but <laughs> I, I think it's important to get it out here to get to, to, for, for Rob to share it. But I think it, when you're, when you're in those contexts, and I had heard this before, what I'm about to point to uh, from scripture, a story from scripture, uh, you see how much Jesus loves deaf people. And I think that's what, what, what I experienced. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You see these people who are dealing with so much uh, lack of access and adversity, and you, you know, you're aware of that kind of thing. But as you've seen in persecuted cultures, and this, they're almost doubly persecuted. So where Christians might be persecuted in a culture, the deaf are persecuted within that, even more perhaps, just by being deaf. But the joy of the Lord and, and how much that, Jesus has communicated his love for them uh, into their hearts. And you see that on their faces and, and, and so forth. And Rob, I was just reminded of Mark 7 and, and the, the story, uh, one that your listeners might be familiar with, but Jesus uh, healing the deaf man, in which even that 
probably needs some explanation, right, Rob? And but it's a great. I think it's a great, very instructional, and something that that it's good to at least include in, in our conversation. So if you don't mind, I'd like for Rob just to mention that and to speak. Love to, that. to hear it. Yeah, and think, absolutely. And the only time I believe in Scripture where we have this kind of a story where Jesus is healing a deaf person. Yeah. Very important. So Rob, go ahead if you don't mind. Yeah, I um this obviously we could spend a lot of time expounding this um from a from a deaf perspective. It's very interesting to see deaf people's it's from a deaf perspective, yes. Right. Um, of how they look at that passage. Um and I won't get into all the nuances. It's um we could we could find some links to even some deaf people who've expounded on on that and and kind of talked about some of the, the valuable things that they they see, but just to highlight a couple things, as a deaf person is watching that passage unfold, as a person is signing it, if you, if anybody's listening, you probably want to open Mark seven. But one of the, a couple of the things they'll they'll see is number one, rarely in scripture does somebody get healed when it's not their own initiative. It's most of the time people have heard about Jesus, they want to know about Jesus, they go seek Jesus out, and they find him. But that deaf person is being brought by the crowd, likely not knowing anything that's going on and being set like almost a, um, uh, an amusement, an attraction in front of Jesus. Here's another thing to fix, Jesus. And um, what Jesus does is rather than immediately heal him, he, he takes the guy away from the crowd completely, away from all the distractions so that he can focus on just one-on-one -on -one with, that, with that person. And you see some, some language that talks about Jesus touching his mouth and touching his ears. And the Greek is actually um, ambiguous about whose ears and whose mouth Jesus was touching. But one way that deaf people will interpret that is they'll say Jesus was using a rudimentary form of sign language to communicate mm -hmm. with this guy um, because Jesus knows all languages. And when Jesus right before he healed the guy, he sighed. And one question that deaf people will ask is why did Jesus sigh? What was the reason for that? And there are a number of explanations, but one of them was, I wish there, this was a culture where I didn't have to do this. That, that this person could use all of the gifts that I have given them without having to have have to speak and have to use spoken language and written language because my gospel is far beyond, um, goes far beyond just written language and, and, and spoken language. It can be used in sign language too. Wow. And the final thing that, that, that many, many deaf people would point out is that yes, the Jesus restored speech and hearing to the person, but it says that that person could actually talk smoothly. So the, the bigger miracle is that they had full access to language all of a sudden. Uh -huh. And that full, we think of the miracle as, oh, I can hear or I can speak. No, 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 deaf people will say, I now have access to information. I now have full access to language and I never had that before. And that's the thing that strikes deaf people about that miracle more than anything. And so you can see as deaf people approach scripture, even the, the cultural norms and the things that, that are, valuable for them then inform how they see God's work among uh among deaf communities yeah wow wow what it a really great story. The difficulty of scripture translation broadly doesn't it <laughs> yeah oh absolutely but it also speaks to the value of learning from others doing theology and community and of course that's something that we always love to talk about uh on our on our podcast guys this has been fantastic thanks for coming on sharing more about DOOR. If somebody wants to get more information about DOOR, Rob, where can you point them? Yeah, please uh, go to our website, doorinternational.org. There's plenty of information about uh, more about deaf ministry, the kinds of things that we do. If people are interested in praying, they can sign up for our prayer newsletter um, that goes out once a month and, and highlights certain areas that people can specifically be praying for. Um, we'd also love to see people come alongside this work financially and um, uh, we can give you more details uh, through contact information that's available on that website too. Yeah, great. Rob, if, if someone, we meet deaf people, we run in, I have deaf neighbors uh, just met. Um, 
if we have a deaf neighbor, where would we point them to say, here, here's, here's something for you. You could just hold your phone and say, here, look at this. So um, probably the best app that's available right now is uh, an app produced by a partner organization named Deaf Bible. And um, they have scripture available in um, over 20 different sign languages and DOOR has been involved in a, a vast majority of those, uh, the translation of those languages. So you could download the Deaf Bible app um, and just have it available on your phone. And um, when you open it up, it's gonna open up, it's gonna figure out what country you're in. So um, if you're in the US, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna open up American Sign Language. And so you would then immediately be able to show that deaf person scripture, even if you don't have access to their languages. Yeah, neat. What a great resource. Guys, thanks for being on here. This has been great. Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Wow, Michael, thank you very much for uh, lending your time to talking to those gentlemen and helping us understand some of the wider complexities. And like you said earlier, the opportunities, the joys of engaging those who are deaf with the gospel. Now, you did this the other day, so you've had time to think about it. What are some of the things that are still clicking around for you uh, about that interview? Well, you know, one of the things is, is just how large the deaf community is around the world and how unique they are. 78 million people are deaf or hearing impaired in some way. And uh, they represent 350 distinct uh, sign languages. Um, and, and it makes them one of the most, or one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. And, and in some cases, they're completely unengaged. Um, you heard in the interview that so far, out of those 350 different sign languages, there's only one complete Bible translation. And that was just completed uh, recently. Uh, and that's the American Sign Language translation. And so there's a lot of effort that still needs to be done in, in uh, making the scriptures available to people in uh, the deaf community. So, and, and you know, there are some, some things that we just don't think about in the hearing community, you know, cause I remember as I was talking with uh, David and Rob about this opportunity to serve on their board, asking them questions about uh, deaf and how we equip the deaf for ministry and, and I was the, of course, and you heard this a little bit in the interview, I was the ignorant hearing person that thought, well, gosh, just use subtitles, you know, uh, we have those on television, we, uh, we see them all the time in closed caption, why can't we just do that? And of course, uh, you heard the challenge that uh, faces us in uh, engaging in deaf ministry, because oftentimes the, the deaf don't read like uh, we would think uh, the deaf might read. And so, so there are challenges like that. And then, the, you know, just the heartbreak. I, I can't imagine, you know, as a deaf child growing up in a family that's not able to communicate with you and, uh, and you know, not really even knowing what you're hearing name is until you're much older. Um, and, and so, yeah, there just are some, some unique challenges uh, that are, that are there. The other month I, I caught up with a, with a movie that came out last year, two years ago, uh, the sound of metal. And it is a movie about uh, a drummer who loses his hearing and walking through that very, it was a difficult movie watching him navigate what is this life as somebody who is deaf, who cannot hear and who needs to now relearn life um, as somebody without hearing. And in that, in that small, in that small snippet, it really helped me see how much I didn't know how much I didn't know about this community of people, how much uh, they suffer and fight through on the regular that I don't ever have to even think about. And furthermore, just what an opportunity to show somebody the love of Christ 
who's having to go through it. Uh, so I, I'm very thankful that door exists and I'm excited to see, um, what can be done in the days, in the days ahead to show people that they are loved and, and that God's message of love through Christ is for them. Uh, and they don't have to actually try to catch up to where we are to then hear it. Um, are there any steps I mean, I guess I, this is me. Now I'm playing the dumb person. Um, are there any steps or are there ways that uh, the physiology masterclasses is going to kind of come alongside door uh, to try to give that theological education to those that they minister to? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, and I'm super excited about that um, because we are producing video content. And, uh, and so all of that content we're going to make available to door and begin to work with them thinking through, you know, what is it going to look like to provide theological education uh, to, to the, the deaf communities around the world so that we can train more uh, uh, church planters and church leaders. So I don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, uh, although I do know um, that we're going to be working together, figuring this out. And so they, they've got a great team of, of people uh, that are doing mission work, planting churches. I mean, you just hear the stories that Rob shared uh, about what's going on in deaf ministry. And you just can't help but to be excited about what the Lord's doing and the opportunities that are there. And so I'm excited to be able to partner with them and and uh, and extend you know our resources to them uh, to use for uh, hopefully for God's purposes and and to see the gospel continue to spread. Listeners, you know, as a part of this podcast, we're going to try to highlight uh, where we see him moving, or even highlight some challenges and and prayerfully consider how can we engage with where God is already moving through these challenges. And, and this episode is yet again, another opportunity to put before you um, people that need Jesus and an opportunity to show them the good news. Um, as Michael said, we are going to do what we can through a physiology, uh, physiology masterclasses to engage them and use our resources uh, to help educate and encourage that community. But if you feel uh, that you would like to get engaged, if you feel that this is um, a people group that you want to to reach out to and get involved with. Michael, where would uh, somebody get involved uh, with Door International? Well, Rob mentioned the website um, and in uh, ways that you can connect with Door. And, and so go back and listen back to that. Um, and then, of course, you know, you can connect with us as well at physiology.com or, or uh, uh, what's our other website? masterclasses.ephesiology.com or email me or even you, Andrew. Um, and uh, we'd love to connect with you and connect you to them if, if that's how God's leading. That's perfect. Well, as we always talk about, we want to do theology and community. Uh, you've been given the, the ways to connect with us. We want to keep up with you. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We want to make sure that we are continuing this conversation doing what we can to encourage you as well as uh, challenge you to take steps where God is calling you to be imaginatively missional in your community. So for Michael, Matt, and myself, thank you for listening to Ephesiology. <laughs>